You're listening to the Boots About Business podcast. We share stories from military veterans that have transitioned to the world of business. On the show, you'll hear conversations with business leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs that all started their careers wearing boots in the service of the U.S. Armed Forces. This podcast is equal parts about sharing great stories, helping veterans, helping businesses, and fostering a greater understanding of the value veterans can bring to business. And welcome, everybody, to episode number 24 of the Boots About Business podcast. I am your host, Frank Strong, and here with us today is Adam Bratz. He is a veteran of the Air Force and today serves as the Vice President of Communications and Programming for the Wisconsin Veterans Chamber of Commerce. It's pretty cool that Wisconsin has a dedicated chamber to veterans, and we're going to get into that. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks so much for having me, Frank. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, we're glad to have you. So... First question, I always like to ask everyone, right, the reminiscent down memory lane, what motivated you to join the Air Force? It was actually music. And a lot of people are taken aback when I say that usually, uh, because not a lot of people know that all of our branches of the military have full-time musician service members. So my entire upbringing was based around music. I played piano from third grade on. And my goal throughout college, I got an undergrad education in jazz and commercial music. And again, playing piano. And my whole goal was to to have a career playing music and touring full-time. And I spent some time as a touring professional musician and eventually was made aware of the Air Force bands and that they were kind of highly sought after positions and I put my name in the hat to audition and I got lucky and I I made it in. So that's what brought me into the military. That's pretty fascinating. I mean, I know like you think about units like the Golden Knights where those guys and gals get paid to just jump out of airplanes all day and put on demos or the Navy (laughs) Blue Angels, things like that. It's the same thing. You're in the band, right? Absolutely. We call it non-kinetic weaponry. It's hearts and minds rendering honor to our veterans, our servicemen and women at home, and entertaining our troops abroad, and then and ceremonial functions as well, presidential funerals, and then all kind of public affairs the sort of communications things in between. We're one of the, well, I say we, I'm not part of it anymore, obviously, but the military bands, and in particular, I can speak for the Air Force bands, but they're, they're the face of the Air Force to the public, or one yeah. of the faces. Uh, almost, like almost a, you know, like you said, public affairs aspect, or even I was thinking recruiting, but I imagine there's a, a whole lot of visibility. And with that comes scrutiny, which, which may not be fun, <laughs> but let's not dive into that too deeper. Let me ask you the next question. And that is, sure. where'd you go? Did you go anywhere special in the Air Force? We did. Absolutely. You know, aside from touring throughout the country for various things, like I said, ceremonial functions to entertaining veterans and troops and any sort of support functions. We also went overseas. I went overseas with the rock band and we went to places where the USO couldn't or wouldn't go, wasn't really capable of. You know, we had a unique combination of skills being warrior airmen and band nerds. So we were able to to go to more remote areas and give a taste of home to people that really, to people that were more remote and really deserved it as much as the next guy or gal down range. And that was super fulfilling. We hit seven countries in three and a half months. So a lot of road time, a lot of plane time, but a lot of convoy time, but it was worth it very much so. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And when you're isolated someplace remote like that, I think having a little taste of the outside world, having a little visitor is definitely special. Oh, yeah. 
one of the questions I ask everyone, there are good days and bad days in uniforms. And I always ask the first part of that question is, what was your worst day in uniform? My worst day was when I was deployed and not in the way that you'd think. You know, I definitely don't want to give the impression that this was there were some uncomfortable situations, but this was not a combat firefight deployment. This was you know, very much so a public affairs mission and compared to a lot of the service that people have downrange, you know, we were very comfortable. So I definitely Mm -hmm. don't want to make it sound like we were doing things that we weren't. But, you know, we were in Iraq after we had been on the road for a long time and they put us up at this place called Freedom Rest. We got really lucky that the Freedom Rest is a place where they put people that need a vacation that don't have enough time or the inclination to get flown back to the States and go through that process. So if they've been deployed for six months and they get a week off sort of thing, they go to Freedom Rest. So that was the only place they could put us up. And it was really cushy. We were very excited about it. And I had an opportunity to check our email, which is something that I hadn't had for who knows how long. So I was excited. I checked my email and I had a message and an email from a buddy of mine who was actually checking over my house that I owned while I was away because it was just me. House was empty while I was gone. And his email said, I don't know how to tell you this, but I went to check on your house and you've been robbed. There's nothing, everything's gone. Everything that you own has been taken. <laughs> like some, you know, we found out after the fact through police reports or whatever, They, I guess they caught the people years later, but it was a bunch of heroin addicts that were staking it out. They saw that I left and they they cleaned me out. They took everything of value, not of value, just gone. This is unbelievable. Like backed up a truck and the movers came and moved all your stuff in there and off and away. Basically. And I mean, even things that they couldn't possibly derive any value from. I mean, these people were the worst. And it felt it was like insult to injury. Like here I was, I felt like I was doing what I could. I was using my unique, my strength which was to perform. So to serve my country in the way that I could best and most capably do that and making a personal sacrifice to serve in that fashion. And then somebody back home robs me blind. I was like, give me a break, man. Yeah, that's just, that's awful. And you're deployed. So you feel helpless because you can't do anything about it. Totally. Let's flip the script on that. Then there's always a lot of good days in uniform. What was your best day or one of your best days? Well, you know, I made an abrupt transition after my first enlistment came to a close. After I came back from my deployment with the Air Force Bands, I was ready for a new challenge and something different. So I did kind of an abrupt 90 degree right hand turn and then decided to be an MTI. So the Air Force's version of a drill instructor, military training instructor, they call it. The Air Force has to call everything something different. But yeah, for so, sure. So I made that abrupt change, and there were a lot of growing pains for me professionally, but it was the most important, formative, and transformative period of time for me personally and professionally was training to earn the hat. So I would say the I cannot express enough how much there were growing pains. If you'd imagine going from a kind of more of a lax situation being in the bands to being in very rigid, structured, military-esque situation. I mean, it was hard, you know, but I graduated, I earned the hat and I got distinguished graduate for military training instructor school. And that was, I would say, earning that in my hat and having my parents there in the, in the audience to see it was probably the highlight of my career. It was a proud moment. Yeah, that's very cool. Obviously, two completely different experiences. Yeah, both important in their own right, 
But as you're talking about training recruits, you're talking about training, you know, the future leaders of the Air Force. Oh, yeah. You think about all of the places that you've been, the experience that you've had across the military. What do you think you learned? What did the service teach you that is, is and has been applicable in your business career since? Oh, man, that's a tough one. That's a really good question. I think at a tactical level, I learned a lot of things being an MTI, things like 10 minutes is a lot of time. You can get a lot, you can get a lot done in 10 minutes. Depends that's, who's in the front lean and rest, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's something I reflect on all the time. Like how often before being an MTI, did I look at the clock and say like, well, I only have 20 minutes before this next thing. So I might as well lounge around, eat a sandwich, scroll Facebook. I don't know. But like learning how to utilize time effectively, that's something I learned as an MTI. But on a strategic level, overarchingly, just the value of, it sounds so corny, but the core values of the Air Force, you know, service, excellence, integrity, especially integrity, just the value of integrity in business, in your personal life, in your professional life, in your career, like genuinely living with integrity, which takes vigilance. It's not easy. There's always temptation to be dishonest or to kind of tweak the circumstances a little bit, but integrity will serve you and everyone around you better than I think any other skill that you can develop and maintain in in your post-service life. Uh, That's a good point. Personally, I don't think there's anything cheesy about core values at all. I think in the business world, we have seen, particularly in the last 10 years, you know, more and more organizations begin to adopt some semblance of core values. And many of them reflect things that you may have seen in the military. I mean, if you were in the service and you you know, had the Army values or the Air Force values and you read some of these business values today, some of them are going to look pretty familiar. And that's a good thing, right? I think ethics are are incredibly important in business. We want to do business with people we know, like, and trust. But totally. As we get on to the business line, let's transition now and ask a little bit how you got into business. How and why did you leave the service? What was kind of your plan for next steps? Well, I, I transitioned because I wanted to be in control of my future. There are three reasons. I wanted to be in control of my future, uh, Mm -hmm. where I went and when and how and in what way. I was tired of being apart from my family and not having control over when I got to see them. And the other reason was I didn't want to go back to the bands. And I loved the bands and I'm thankful for my time with the bands and the people that I served with, some great professionals in there and some great musicians and you know, overarching public affairs and communications professionals, like fantastic folks. But for me, it almost felt like a step back because the the MTI thing was a special duty. I couldn't do that forever. If I could have done that forever, I might still be there. Yeah. (laughs) I loved being an MTI, but I didn't want to go back to the band. So while I was in, I determined that I thought I had a plan. I thought I knew what I was doing. I got a master's degree in nonprofit administration, and my eight-up Air Force self was swimming in military-esque altruism. I thought, I'm going to work in the nonprofit world because I want to be able to rest well at night, knowing that I served and did what I could to help others, you know, to help. Mm. It absolutely was. And it also came from a misunderstanding that could only have become clarified after having worked in the nonprofit world. And that was, I realized that for-profit businesses also do a lot of charitable work. Here I was working for nonprofits and scraping for $30,000 of one-off donations in a year, 
And then without even thinking twice about it, Northwestern Mutual throws out $150 million for childhood cancer research. And it's like, wait a minute, we're the nonprofits, we're the good ones. Who's the ones actually making like this massive impact though? So I didn't understand that for-profit businesses were just as capable as nonprofits, if not more so in many circumstances. But aside from that, so my lack of understanding and wanting to feel like I was part of something bigger and had a bigger impact and was mentoring and educating or at least creating an ecosystem where we could train the next generation. That's why I transitioned to being an executive for the Boy Scouts. Say what you will about things that they've been in the news for over the last several years. The overarching goal of that organization is to train the next generation and to teach skills that they don't teach in school anymore. So I thought it was yeah. a logical fit for me. And you're absolutely right. Having that feeling of purpose, the overarching purpose and impact in the world was important. But the thing that it took me a while to understand, which was part of my transition journey, is that I'm not my job. And a lot of veterans really struggle with that because you leave the military after four, eight, 20 years, and a lot of your sense of identity and impact in the world and your id, your ego, yourself, everything that you are is wrapped up in your job because a military job is more than a job. It's an all-encompassing way of life. And, yeah. and so... You know, you have a lot of people, they don't know who they are when they're 18, 19, 20 years old. They surf for 20 years and some of them, they're 38, 39, 40 years old trying to figure out who they are for the very first time. And the only thing they know how to do is latch their sense of self onto their occupation. Yeah, I see sometimes, like, I can totally appreciate it because I've seen people make comments like, you see somebody that's 60 years old mm -hmm. and they're wearing a, you know, a Marine Corps t-shirt and... Somebody made the comment once that was like, this person has lived their whole life. They did four years in the Marine Corps. Why are they still wearing the darn t-shirt? Mm. Right? They, they can't make that sense. But there is something unique and special about the experience, about being broken down together, about being built back up together, about being there 24-7 and having getting to know people on a level that you just can't relate to in the civilian world. What I mean by oh, that yeah. is yeah. you're there all the time. It's not like... Oh, I just see you for eight hours a day and we have lunch together or something like that. You're there all the time. You see the good side, the bad side, when they're cold, tired, wet, hungry, you get the whole Shazam. So it's definitely ingrained. But I think you make a good point that you have to have some kind of separation when you get out. Right. It's always a part of you, but now you're moving on to something new, right? You got to have a new t-shirt too. You can still wear the old ones, but <laughs> you got to have some new ones. And I'm not saying it's wrong by any means. Like it's totally understandable that mm -hmm. people connect their sense of self to their military service. I did, and I still do in many ways. Like you said, hard for somebody that hasn't been through that experience and that kind of shared misery and shared accomplishment and shared struggle and shared success and every, the whole range that shared, that sense of community, it's hard not to have that be a part of you. But I think when a lot of people transition is they don't know how to separate that feeling of community and larger impact from their employer. So they go to work for a target distribution center and as a project manager in the warehouse, they're like, wait, what am I like, who am I impacting? What am I serving? Or on the flip side, they get screwed over by their company and they feel betrayed, like personally affected yeah. yeah. because they've latched so much. And this is me not speaking anecdotally. This is like, I have experienced this when a business acted like a business and it affected me or the people that 
worked underneath me, my subordinates, I was personally affronted because I couldn't separate my value or their value or our overarching purpose from the job. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, this is a great conversation. I do want to get to the chamber part. So you got into nonprofit, you worked for the Boy Scouts, and you wound up at the Wisconsin Veterans Chamber of Commerce. Tell us a little bit about what is a chamber of commerce? What does it mean to be at a Veterans Chamber of Commerce? Well, a chamber of commerce is a business serving organization that is usually either bound locationally or demographically or through an industry. So it can be like a Chicago Chamber of Commerce, or it could be a LGBT Chamber of Commerce, or it can be a agricultural Chamber of Commerce. So those are the ways that it breaks down. So ours is demographically bound and also locationally bound, being the Wisconsin Veterans Chamber of Commerce. But like all other chambers of commerce, we are a business-serving organization. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, go so ahead. what are some of the like programs and services? What do you do? How do you help vets? So we create an ecosystem and we bridge the gap between veteran talent and the wider business community. So we serve, we don't just serve veteran-owned businesses. We serve Wisconsin businesses and the Wisconsin economy. And we do that by bridging the gap between the Wisconsin economy and veteran talent, whether that be veteran employees, whether it be veteran-owned businesses, business development getting veteran-owned businesses into diverse supply chain pipelines, so helping them with their network development, their B2B opportunities. So our programs include, we have business incubators, we have a Proud to Serve You program, we have a lot of marketing support because our network's very huge. For a smaller chamber of commerce, our network's very, very large and very involved, which is cool. So we, where we don't do direct placement, say if a veteran reaches out to us and says, hey, I need a job, we don't have like a job board. There's plenty of people that do that. We would just muddy the waters. We do facilitate those connections though. Like we support people that have the job boards that that are good employers and, and we highlight those folks. And we have a lot of programs where we train people on the civilian end. We'll train HR managers on how to recognize veteran talent on how best to engage and retain and employ and properly support veterans, military spouses, and their families. Because that education, yes, we need to educate the veteran employees, but we need to educate the veteran employers as well. They have to meet in the middle. So, And again, it's that ecosystem development, which is very awareness and education-centric very network development and relationship building centric on both the veteran and the wider business community side. Yeah. And I mean, facilitating the connections, as you say, is just as important because it's a lot of times when you're finding a job or you're finding opportunities, you're finding relationships that lead to capital to go open up a new business. Um, Those are all built on connections and people that you've gotten to know. So that's you know, just want to highlight how important that is. We've heard that over and over on this show. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you bring it up. Let me ask you this. So you, in being a veteran that has transitioned yourself, mm-hmm. moving on to an organization that serves businesses and veterans, how do you think a veteran's experience translates to business? Oh, man. You know, there's two important considerations there. And one of them is the tactical level considerations. And this is where a lot of our education comes in for the veteran-friendly employer that may or may not have experience in the military. And that's, it's your average veteran 
is not just somebody that spent four years rolling around in the desert with a rifle. I mean, their training and education has been ongoing. You have the tangibles and the intangibles, the tangibles being like they know how to do Microsoft Office and work a copy machine and basic HR requirements for not getting anybody sued in the work environment. You know, they understand all of those things that your HR manager and your training manager would be banging their head up against the wall for the first year to two years training somebody right out of college. They have that. They have it experienced. It's been trained and ingrained and inculcated like they're good to go on that. Yeah. Their intangibles are they know how to, generally speaking, of course, because you can't make a sweeping statement about veterans are diverse, you know, so none of this applies to all of them. But generally speaking, they're trainable, they're educatable, they're adaptable, and they're resilient. And they can be to a fault, like I mentioned earlier, they can be loyal to a fault, which makes them easy to be taken advantage of and get trapped in underemployment situations. But they're some of the most like savagely loyal people, typically, if they can sense that you are there to help them truly and genuinely, they'll be some of the most dedicated folks that you have on your team. And that's the important intangible. Yeah, savagely loyal. So mm-hmm. a lot of times I like to pick out the headline from something the guest says, and <laughs> that's a good candidate. There you go. But we're talking, you know, you're talking in some sense that level of loyalty can also be a pitfall. Yeah. What, why we're on the topic of pitfalls, what are some other pitfalls or misconceptions that veterans have when they're initially transitioning about business or some things that they expect to happen that don't happen or not quite work out as they had envisioned prior to their transition. There's a wide range of things there. You know, you'll you notice folks that were senior NCOs or field grader above officers that are transitioning that their biggest pitfall is that they expect to transition directly into a C-suite level position because somebody told them like, well, you were a l- lieutenant colonel. That translates to president of the universe with a six-figure gig. And I think they struggle with that. But I think everybody does, in a way, understanding that, yes, your military experience is work experience. But no, most civilian employers don't know that. And so a pitfall is going into it, not at least understanding a little bit that you have to pay some dues. And you have Mm -hmm. to, in some regards, start over in a lot of ways. And you can rise up quickly. You can get through it quickly. And there are things you can do to mitigate that in advance. And I personally know an E6 that hopped into an almost six-figure job right out of it, like first post-service gig, executive VP sort of stuff. But he was a unicorn. That doesn't happen every day. And it doesn't happen to officers. It doesn't happen to senior NCOs. And while simultaneously curbing your enthusiasm, I encourage people to do as much research as they can about the overarching value in their region of their skill set and then to just temper it. And then when you get in there, work your butt off. Yeah. That's the thing too, is maybe you feel like you're taking a step back in your transition, but you get in there and you do what you've always done Yeah, and it's going to come. It It will come. You know, it'll happen. So let me ask you conversely, what advice would you have for businesses that are seeking to hire veterans? You mentioned you've been working with some businesses. What are things they need to know? What's the education gap look like on that side of the house? Oh, that education gap is wider than it is on the other end of the house. It usually takes longer to get a civilian to understand being clear with your language when it comes to compensation, benefits, promotion, schedule, 
like realistic opportunities for growth and what that timetable looks like, as well as expectations and everything in between. Clearly conveying that because you have a potential employee here that has known what he make, he or she makes, what their peers make, what their superiors make based on this set timetable of time and grade and time and service. And they know somewhat reliably within a certain range that if they keep their nose clean, they can achieve certain ranks, certain promotions, certain responsibilities, certain authority, along with certain pay. Like they come from a very certain thing. And throwing out platitudes like, well, you rise quickly if you blah, 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 blah. Like, no, that's not good enough. So clearly conveying their expectations and benefits is one thing. And the other end is ensuring that you are connecting them to the wider impact of their work or you're going to lose them just like you'll lose any other millennial because millennials and youngers, like if you don't connect their work to a wider impact, they're not going to stay for longer than a year. That's just the way that that generation generally works. Yeah. I wrote an article called Millennial and Veteran Employees Have a Lot in Common. And granted, most of our workforce is millennial right now. We're all getting old and that's a majority of the workforce. But that connection is really, really, really important. And having a BRG or ERG or affinity group, an employee resource or business resource group that is military or veteran specific, depending on the size of your company and doing it the right way will work wonders. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I had a a guest on a while ago that was, he was working for, it was another nonprofit that tried to help businesses set up programs to attract and retain veterans on a national basis, right? It wasn't localized like Wisconsin. And I kind of asked him, like, what's one tip from you for setting up a venture program? He said, go find the veterans in your business and ask them to help you get this thing started because they'll take it and run. Oh, yeah. I I thought that was great advice. So send me a link to the article that you mentioned. We'll we'll put a link to that in the show notes. I'll put a link to the Wisconsin Chamber. Let me ask you, so for veterans that are going home to Wisconsin, hey, pretty easy. They're going to be able to find you. You've got all kinds of resources and help. Other resources that you would recommend for veterans that aren't going to Wisconsin that may be going to their hometown in another part of the country? Sure. Absolutely. So, I mean, I would check to see, especially if you have entrepreneurial ambitions or just in general, I would look to see if your state has a state veterans chamber of commerce. About half of the states in the country do, but it's a growing idea. Mm -hmm. But it's a young idea. Wisconsin veterans chamber is one of the longest standing and largest and most developed. It's only been around for five years. So maybe just wait around a minute and it'll be in a place near you. But your local VSO, and I think not a lot of people, the first thing you do when you get to your municipality or city or whatever, find out where your local VSO is. And it's mostly delineated by county or region if you're rural. But every county, generally speaking, or every little tiny area has a veteran services officer, somebody whose job it is to inform you about local benefits, state-level benefits, federal benefits, everything from employment resources to homelessness resources to mental health resources to claiming disability benefits resources to do you get free trout stamps on your fishing license resources, you know? Like, that's the best place to start. You're not going to... Oh, go ahead. A VSO stands for Veteran Service Officer? Yep, it's either Veteran Service or Veteran Services Officer. Okay, may vary by municipality or... Right, or either that or I'm just getting it wrong. But those VSOs, I mean, their job is to help you through those processes. And the thing that you're going to find is there's not there's not a lack of resources out there. There's 45,000 veterans serving nonprofits in the United States right now. You're going to have no problem finding nonprofits that at least say 
they can help you accomplish X, Y, Z. What you need are trusted resources to help you sift through the crap. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So we're getting on to the end here. I've got mm-hmm. uh, two final questions for you and I'm okay. going to bundle them together. They're pretty easy, but the first one is, do you still play the piano? <laughs> Not as much as I'd like to, really. Yep. I, it was... Are you getting paid to play the piano? Not that 10 times real fast. <laughs> Not really anymore. It's more just for fun. You know, we've got a piano at the house and the kids take piano lessons. And every now and then I'll have an old friend reach out and be like, hey, can you lay down a track for this and play it and record it in my home studio and send it along and go about my day. But I really need to be better about including it into my daily routine because it really was such an important part of my life for so long and still is in many ways. That's awesome. So if I go to get a new soundtrack for this podcast, I'm going to hit you up then. There you go. Oh, yes, a little ditty. I like it. All right, last question. If someone listening to this episode has a question, would like to reach out, connect with you, is there someplace online where they can find you? Absolutely. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm a big LinkedIn fan. So just search Adam Bratz. You'll you'll see me. And if you want to learn more about the Wisconsin Veterans Chamber of Commerce, wiveteranschamber.org. Even if you're not in Wisconsin, if you live in a state that doesn't have a chamber of commerce or doesn't have a developed Veterans Chamber of Commerce and you think that there's a way that, you know, we could support you or at least provide resources or just let you in on how we did this, that, or the other, like, we're happy to help. Yeah, awesome. We will put a link to that in the show notes. So Adam, I want to thank you for coming on. Thank you for your service. My pleasure. Sharing your experience and all the things that you're doing to help connect veterans and businesses in your work at the Chamber. Thank you so much for having me, Frank. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Boots About Business podcast. Please know you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you catch your podcasts. And while you are there, won't you leave us a nice review? It'll help the show and in turn help other veterans. Finally, if you know someone that's a veteran in business or is an entrepreneur with a story to share, hit us up using the contact form on the show's website. That's bootsaboutbusiness.com. That's all one word, bootsaboutbusiness.com. Until next time, I am your host, Frank Strong, out here. Out here.